Join us as we explore timeless wisdom from around the world, seeking truths that resonate most for each individual. Welcome to Peace on Your Journey podcast. I'm John Lawyer, a former soldier turned spiritual traveler. At Kishar, we celebrate the journey of discovery together, delving into various religious, spiritual, and philosophical traditions. For a deeper dive into spirituality, join our vibrant online community at kishar.org. If you'd like to experience this production with dynamic art and video content, check out our YouTube channel at Peace on Your Journey. Today we are discussing the science of self-realization by Swami Prabhupada. This is a controversial work on a controversial subject. And this wasn't an easy book for me to get through. It's more the specifics in it that really got me. The overall subject is on Hinduism, which is really important to me. It's something that I really believe in. I'm an omnist and I'm connected to multiple different religious beliefs and spiritual constructs and believe in the sum of all great human thought in the world. But even as I'm still working my way through the depth of the wisdom associated with Hinduism, I can still respect it. And it goes on almost forever, so I don't think I could ever be done with that kind of search. And I'd been excited to read this book, uh, but it really didn't encompass the Hinduism that I have come to know and love. It was recommended to me by someone online as a great read on anybody's spiritual journey. So I picked it up and added it to my collection and then eventually went to read it. And it's really about the Hare Krishnas. And if you're not familiar with the Hare Krishnas, they were important back in the 1960s, 1970s United States. In my ignorance, I didn't really know that the author, Swami Prabhupada, was the founder of the Hare Krishnas and that he'd come to the U.S. in the 60s to kind of preach his message. Uh, but it did become clear to me, obviously, as I began to read through this book. I was familiar with the Krishnas in a vague sense. Like I said, uh, they were pretty famous back in the 60s and 70s, and I'm not that old, but I've heard people talk about it, seen it in movies. I wasn't really aware of their background or core beliefs. And the modern Hare Krishna movement is regulated and controlled by ISKCON, which stands for the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Uh, the movement traces its roots back through the Gudaya Vishnava Hindu tradition dating back to the 16th century. So you've got this sect of Hinduism that really came into their own about 500 years ago. And Swami Prabhupada, who founded the modern Hare Krishna movement, consistently refers to the leader who organized them 500 years ago. And he talks about the fact that his line of leadership goes directly back to this organizer. They see the Hindu god Krishna as their supreme deity. And it, it's a form of bhakti yoga, which is one of three Hindu paths to enlightenment or moksha. And what they believe is if they have unbridled, complete faith in Krishna and in this path, that they'll find enlightenment. And they're heavy in proselytizing their beliefs and converting as many people as possible. They're notable for their distribution of literature uh, as books and pamphlets. And... They're famous for chanting as one of their primary practices of chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Hare. And this is central to their faith. They were actually a huge influence on George Harrison and the Beatles, as well as many other artists. And they probably had a really notable impact on the spread of vegetarianism in the United States and throughout the Western world. And so... Prabhupada speaks often of the four principles, which are avoidance of illicit sex, avoiding meat eating, uh, intoxication, and gambling. 
And so that was central to a lot of his preaching. And when it comes to the Hare Krishnas, there's, like I said earlier, it's a sensitive subject. I can talk about a friend of mine who I trust very deeply and I respect. And she grew up in the Hare Krishna movement and has had very negative things to say about them. And I really, I put significant stock in their opinion. And there are things that I've read in this book that feel like kind of support this view. And there was also some well-documented issues with the Hare Krishnas and child abuse in the 70s and 80s. Now, they've supposedly done a lot to rectify that over the last 30 years, uh, but I can't be the judge of that. Uh, always do your own research, but it's something that I thought was worth bringing up. We'll get more into some of that as we progress through this discussion, but it just, the whole thing when I read this book felt very dogmatic, which is really strange because... I usually don't get that dogmatic feel when I read other literature on Hinduism. And so as we talk about the modernization of the Hare Krishnas, uh, they've undergone a significant rebranding. And like I said, they're like now as we know it, brand is the International Society for Krishna Consciousness or ISKCON. And usually, they usually don't go by that long name. They usually call themselves ISKCON or I-S-K-C-O-N, all caps. And they have global reach, and a huge audience. And like I said, they, they have taken some efforts to address some of the criticisms from the the missteps that they've had in the early part of their movement. And again, I can't attest to the effectiveness of these reforms. Um, and I think the topic of ISKCON and the Hare Krishna's movement remains an emotionally charged one. There's a lot of stuff that you can see and find online that has very negative things to say about them. But again, that's for you to judge. Uh, and I can say that as we look at the teachings of anyone, even though I didn't particularly resonate with this book and I had some issues here that I'm going to discuss as we as we move move ahead here, I don't think that it means that we can't find some wisdom, even if there's some problems around the the subject or the person that is putting it out there. Take Osho for instance. Some of you may know Osho as a, a guru, spiritual figure, and he had many great bits of wisdom and guidance, but you know, he was pretty crazy in a lot of people's views, and he had some communities that followed him that did horrible things. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't pick up a book on Osho and find some wisdom. And there's, you know, many celebrities and leaders around the world that are tied to his And I, I didn't realize this, but one of my favorite spiritual speakers is Gar Gopal Das. And he's a member of ISKCON. Uh, he's a Hare Krishna. And I, like I said, I didn't even know that until I was doing research to put this video together and you know i've never heard anything from him that wasn't about self-empowerment or loving kindness and so that really surprised me that one of my favorite spiritual speakers was tied to this movement so i think that speaks well of at least a portion of the movement currently but again you please be the judge you know as an omnist i believe the best movement or practice is that of your own making so it's, it's up to ourselves to figure out what, what works best for us. And so let's just continue to work together to absorb all these bits of great human thought from around the world and across time and, you know, make the best of it. So a little bit of background on this book. Swami Prabhupada has written and translated with commentary something like 80 works. So this book was a compilation of his works from various sources, including some magazines that he published 
speeches that he's given. And they're actually transcripts of recorded conversations that he's had with people from around the world, like Richard Nixon and his wife and a ton of other celebrities and world leaders from the 60s and 70s. And so in the beginning of the book, it, it obviously goes into how he started, left India and came to the United States to start teaching his Hindu method. And I think the, the background is really interesting. I think it was one of the most uh, interesting, engaging parts of this book. It describes how he started small and then brought the Hare Krishnas into the mainstream consciousness in the U.S. They were a force to be reckoned with, for sure. And I actually wish the book had included more of this because it felt very authentic and it felt very kind of more pure before they got big when they were kind of smaller and more dedicated to their cause without any of the trappings that go along with kind of dogma when you get into organized religion. And I wanted to talk a little bit about my own personal journey through Hinduism. And, you know, I'm speaking very broadly here. My core interest associated with, with Hinduism has trended towards the impersonal side and less with the personal side of it. And by that, I mean, you know, there's all these gods and avatars that are quite interesting in Hinduism, but they feel more personal to me. I'm What appeals to me more is the the universal kind of pantheistic Brahman, uh, uh, the oneness of everything and our repeating lives in the universe. And there's other powerful insights into who and what we are in this religion. There's conflict between Hindu sects on the impersonal versus the personal within the religion. And so, you know, you can kind of look at that through the same lens as you do a lot of other religions that have different uh, sects or denomination. And they're quite divided. So as you know, you, there's no, it's not this monolithic thing. It's very different based on who you talk to and, and what their exact practices are. So with that in mind, I expected that I might vibe a little bit less with some things in this book, and that's okay. Uh, just because the Krishnas are very heavy on the personal side, and they they do worship a single deity in Krishna, and they believe that there's no salvation outside of the absolute surrender to Krishna, and that's what Prabhupada preached. And I think that, again, goes back to that dogmatic nature of this specific system. And that's not to say that someone that has complete devotion to Krishna might not find their own path. That might be that person's spiritual path, but that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you appreciate this content, I would ask you if you could go ahead and subscribe by hitting the watermark in the lower right-hand corner of this video. Or you can subscribe via the channel page. And really, if, you, if you're enjoying this content, consider sharing this video with your friends or family who you, you think might benefit from it. So thank you very much. And uh, on to some more thoughts on this book. You know, even with quite a few faults, uh, I think Prabhupada is still a fascinating person. He's clearly super intelligent. And this shines through in his writings. And I feel like the way this book was edited did both himself and his movement a disservice. He has all these rich writings and so many good things to say but the book was kind of organized in such a way that it didn't necessarily show him in the best light and that's strange because this book is published and distributed by his followers who put it together after he was you know kind of passed on but i think if you look deeper into the person to swami Prabhupada himself maybe that's why it was hard for him because maybe a bit of him did shine through a little bit of that ego or whatever you may call it because I think sometimes people's true nature does sh shine through. And the presence of that ego was strange to me because it's not something I see real often when I'm 
studying the Hindu tradition. And it's shown me that it's so important to kind of set that ego aside so that you're, you can be more in tune with yourself and even be more receptive and open to the universe. And I think about what could have been. One of the most striking things about this work is, is it could have been, I think, much better. And what I was looking for is insights into Prabhupada's concept of this faith and with insights into how to best practice it and what works for his followers to better their lives. And the book definitely has some of that, but it doesn't feel like it's the primary focus. It ends up being very repetitive, even negative at times. And if you really read it, that kind of just shines through. And it was frustrating given that I think this movement has more to offer in terms of guidance and rich advice. And I think the modern movement, the best that I can tell, has started to kind of take that track a little bit. Uh, but I haven't done enough research to really say that one way or the other, for sure. And I don't think this is in any way the science of self-realization, which I think would have been a really fascinating read to, to read about how do you realize yourself, the oneness with the universe, the, the divinity within pure consciousness. And so it's frustrating that it wasn't that. And I think it was more of a poorly constructed view of the Hare Krishna leader and his 12 years in the United States. And so it just kind of got all jumbled together. And I, I do want to again say he's brilliant and has it does have many interesting things to say. And one message that absolutely does continually shine through and that I absolutely agree with is that we need to look inside of ourselves and connect with the truth. And that we need to do this as much in much larger numbers than we currently are in the world. And if we, if we can do that, we'll live in a better world. And if we don't, it will struggle to live in a better world. And I think that's a good message. I think there's something to that. And if he could spend more time on that, I think, you know, that would have been good. And as well as he spent some time on expanding awareness and resisting the material world, meditating, yoga, breathing. Those are great. But it wasn't still, again, the focus of the message that I got. It was just a small part of it. It would have been much more worthwhile to have more in-depth knowledge and wisdom being put out on those subjects. And I will say that his conversation transcripts with some of those important figures I was talking about around the world, those are worth reading. Uh, those are those are interesting. Although those do sometimes show his ego a bit as well. And that kind of leads me back to, there's some hypocrisy here. And the, I, I want to be a positive person. I think I am a positive person most of the time. And I try to remain that way. And I think it's one of the reasons this book was jarring to me is because I was trying to remain positive, but it kept trending negative. And I think I would be doing you all a disservice if I didn't provide an honest picture of what I read. I think most of my books that we discuss on Beyond the Book here on Wednesdays are usually positive, but I just didn't end up this way, that way with this one. I reflect on Prabhupada saying, this is a great quote, actually, God has no particular name. By saying he has no name, we mean that no one knows how many names he has. Since God is unlimited, his names also must be unlimited. Therefore, we cannot settle on one name. And that's really beautiful. It speaks to like the oneness of the universe and very pantheistic and very universal. And you've got this beautiful quote and it really flows this along this ominous universalist path that I follow. And then we, you know, we know that even if he said this, he didn't necessarily truly believe it given how dogmatic he was about his way being the only way. And so he was flawed in his take that the only path is his path, and it was a unique and absolute way. 
And, you know, I, I don't really believe in absolutes in the universe. Maybe the only absolute that I believe in is change, because I think change is fairly constant motion. But he also claims that these other gurus are falsely claiming to be gods, and they need only preach the path of love and the way to God. And that's a great sentiment. But then he also almost immediately turn around and says it's for his followers to treat him, Swami Prabhupada, as God. And so that is really confusing because he's criticizing all these other gurus and saying, but I'm different. I'm a guru and I it's okay. So it's it's like he was saying that he was the messenger of God, just like a government official is the representative of a government. In fact, he kind of says that in his book. So this seems a very strange way to, to present himself. And so you have the wise nature of Swami Prabhupada, and then you have his imperfect nature, as you could kind of see him in the book it was written, rely on material things. Like he had a Rolls Royce and other finer things, which, you know, that's him. That's okay. I mean, if that's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to do. But it, it was contradictory to the message that he was putting out in the world. And I think that speaks to the imperfection of humankind. And that's okay. You know, we can we can find people and fault in people and severe faults sometimes, and they can still have part of their message be relevant, maybe even warmer, maybe even beautiful. It's a it's a great world we live in. It's a, a world of balance of dark and light. And I think even when we're doing good things and trying to make the world a better place, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And you know, as I continue to read this book, Prabhupada struck me as very authoritarian, very rigid. And those are the words that I wrote down in my notebook at the time, those exact words. And it's striking and jarring in a way that turns me away from what, what was a beautiful message in many respects. And it's part of a collection of amazing human thought and sincere study. There was there's something to, to it, but it's almost like he's holding on too tightly to the subject at hand. It's very arrogant. It trends to the personal versus the interest of the collective. There's this vanity to it. And and again, that's the the hypocrisy that they could find their true faith and practice, the Krishnas could, according to the great pantheon of this Hindu tradition, but that nobody else was capable of seeing the truth and passing it on. And I think that he also underestimates the ability of people to understand important messages. It was very like he could understand it and comprehend it, but we wouldn't be able to. So we might as well just take his word for it. And we should only trust him as the messenger. At one point on page 152, I wrote that he is completely narrow minded. I was so frustrated that I wrote this guy's narrow minded. that He can't acknowledge anyone else has any other ideas or practice. I feel like that's the definition of a fundamentalist, which I think is probably what he and his movement came to be known as in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, especially in the United States. I don't know about the rest of the West. And so there's this, this uneasy thought by him that the West is ungodly versus the East. And that seems kind of condescending. And this is despite him also saying consistently that many Hindus are lost because they're not totally devout to Krishna. And so he's kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth, whereas he's saying the East is more enlightened than the West, but these Hindus don't know what they're doing. So it was just, again, kind of kind of jarring, which is a word that keeps coming up when I think about this book. He does get a few things right. And 
what he absolutely does get right is that we need to better ourselves in order to better the world around us and turn things around. That we need mass and light. And this is by far his greatest message and one worthy of all of us. He also gets right that we're, we're all the same and all one without division. And we're all tied together in this oneness. You know, even if he might contradict that at times. In one section, he boiled it down to a really simple practice of accepting the ultimate Krishna, which to me is the, what he's saying there is the concept of the ultimate divine, the self, the oneness of the universe. To chant the Hare Krishna, which is chanting the mantra, and that does have power. It can be a ritualistic thing that can help people kind of find their Zen. To resist the material world, to be more aware, to meditate, to do yoga, and to breathe. And if you look at that short list there, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's things that I think that if we all did, we would probably have more peace and calm on our spiritual path. And I already spoke to you about the story of his beginning of his journey from India to the United States and how it all started. And there was where there was some more of this towards the end of his journey as well that they described. And I thought that was powerful as well, how his journey ended. And there was something really relatable about it to me. And I think we need more of that in this book as well. And so as we kind of look at this book that we've discussed here, what are your thoughts on the Hare Krishnas and this Khan? What do you think about the, the movement in the past, maybe the movement where it's at and where it's going? And so let's see if we can have a conversation, post some stuff in the comments below, and let's, let's see what you think. And please visit us at kishar.org for more great content and a vibrant community where we're discussing spirituality every day, subjects like this and others. And please do like this video and give us a like on the video and, and we'll keep making content just like this. Until next time, I wish you peace on your journey.